0: Hey folks, it's Chris Schember here, uh, broadcasting live from beautiful New York City, and I'm honored to have a, a dear new friend, a, a friend that we have so many mutual friends in common with. It's a wonder how it took us so long to meet. Uh, Rob Enrich, the founder and CEO of Gimbal. Great to be with you here today, my friend.
1: Thank you, Chris. Uh,
0: wonderful to meet you as well, and, and uh, I'm thrilled to get an, an opportunity to share. Now, Rob, in everything that I've watched you build over on the West Coast, uh, the community you've built around you, the great team and, and the new members of the team that I've had the chance to interact with. I'm so impressed by where you're going with this company. And the, the single question I have for you today is, as you look back on everything you've built and the friends we have in common, if you could give creditor thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough creditor thanks to, or just have never thought to give any credit or thanks to whether it's someone you've never met before or someone you've known your entire life who would that be
1: huh well i don't want to get in trouble so i'll say first of all my family but i think i actually i don't think i give them enough thanks and credit for that but i you know as just as a matter of course i i do i try to express thanks and gratitude to people on a regular basis uh, who've helped me and i feel like that comes across and that people know that. There are people I haven't met or seen in a very long time that I guess I would put on that list, but I'd be reaching a little bit in that case.
0: At the beginning of this, you said, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to say my parents. Who would you have said if you didn't say them first?
1: You know, there, I, think, I think there'd be a lot of authors that are on that list of people who I've never met and had the opportunity to say thank you to, but who I've been moved by and inspired by. And when I say authors, not like, you know, fiction, but more they've used a book to sort of tell their story. Uh, Tal Ben-Shahar is one that comes to mind. I also really like the way Charlie Munger thinks. I mean, I haven't seen my hockey coach from when I was a kid for 25 years, but that would be another person, I think. I and mean, that, that's what comes to mind sort of off the top of my head.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to start with Charlie Munger for a sec. And if the first thing that I want to, you know, ask is where along your journey did Charlie Munger become, you know, a mentor to you? When did you first pick up one of his books from whether it's his almanac or the on success that he's written?
1: Probably a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, it's not something that's like at the core of, of my personality, but I think it's become something that's at the core of sort of my business outlook. And, and that, you know, sort of the overall thought process around value investing has been something that's been tremendously helpful uh, for me. You know, especially as, I, I just think, I think it's an easy thing to talk about, you know, sort of a contrarian model of thinking about value. And it's a much harder thing to do because it inherently involves a lot of people around you saying this doesn't make any sense and you sort of you know weathering that storm and continuing based on you know facts that you know to be true it's not it's not super easy i mean it, it sounds easy but it's not super easy to do and then also just the humility that comes along with you know sort of his mental models and and trying to think through all the different ways you could be wrong and at the same time sort of pursue something once you have that level of confidence that it is the right way to go.
0: Now, I wanna get back to value investing in a sec. I wanna talk about the humility of his mental model. And the question I have for you, to quote something from your website, um, I remember reading so famously that you've started, right, five other ventures, you have a lifetime record of four wins and one loss. And the question I have for you is, are you not trying enough because you have such a good win record? What would Charlie Munger say to that?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I mean, the reason I, 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 you know, maybe it's three wins and two losses, or I don't. It really just depends on how you gauge a win and a loss, or or maybe it's. I, I don't know what my record is. You know, I write that mostly to try to express humility because I think there are so many people that I leave, that I meet along the way. I don't think that there's a very bright line between some of the successes I've had and some of the failures I've had. And, um, you know, I remember when I was working on one company that ultimately ended up having a a good outcome, um, meeting with a a friend and a mentor of mine and saying to him, you know, in two weeks, this company will either have been sold or I'll be, you know, maybe not bankrupt, but it, it won't be good. and regardless of the way it turns out i made a set of decisions that i made and those exact same decisions regardless of whatever happens next that's completely out of my control they i think the outside world would look at me either as a genius if it succeeds or a failure if it doesn't but nonetheless i've taken the the steps i've taken and I, as i said i don't think that that line is as bright as many people perceive it to be from the outside and so that when i said four wins and one losses on that profile i think i was trying to just sort of respect that dynamic that failure does happen and certainly there are people who are better and smarter uh, at everything um than i am i don't know it's just i think it's an important lesson for me to remember also because it's easy to get sort of wrapped up in your own self especially mm-hmm. as people uh you know when things are going well everybody's your friend when things are not going well. Not as much, so it's a, it's a helpful reminder to me at how thin that line is.
0: Now, I know value investing, as, as you're relating uh, to your, what you learned from Charlie Munger, I know value investing as an investment tactic where stocks are selected because they appear that they're trading for less than market value. They've been undervalued. The question I have for you is, your hockey coach, when you were a kid, were you an undervalued asset on his team? Did he invest in you when others didn't? Is that why you gave voice to him in this moment?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think what I learned from from my hockey coach as a kid was Tenacity and also the confidence to have sort of a contrarian uh, mindset, those two things, you know, as it relates to value investing. I mean, I don't buy stocks or, or anything like that, but I try to look. We've been very acquisitive as our sector has become disfavored mostly by equity investors. And I think it creates a lot of value, or there is a lot of value that others have been either slower or hesitant to pick up that we've aggressively gone for. And and so when I think about value investing, the the areas that come to mind for me are you know seeing value in something that others don't and then having sort of that tenacity and confidence to pursue it because inherently if the rest of the market saw that asymmetry they would also be going after. And so mm-hmm. you're going to hear a lot of people questioning you that you want to embrace. I mean like if you're either questioning yourself, you know, in sort of Munger's idea of mental models, sort of checking where you could have made mistakes, you can use other people to help, you know, make those checks as well or or check your thinking. But ultimately, you know, you have to dig into, you know, five levels deep and say, well, why are you saying that? What What facts are leading you to believe that? And then, you know, sort of have the self-discipline to say, Am I getting wrapped up around trying to make something happen or is this really a good idea? And knock on wood, we've had some success so far. You know, most acquisitions don't work. Like I've read four out of five. I don't know if that's true or not, but we've I think we're three for three. And, and um, you know, it's, it's about, in that case, I think, I think through value investing a lot, when I think about what is the underlying price that we're paying, what's the inherent value, mm-hmm. what's the value to us, what's the value to the market, And so that's why I mentioned Charlie Munger. I don't have the experience to to pick stocks. I I don't know how to do that. But I think about that framework in terms of analyzing potential acquisition.
0: Question, when you look up in the book, when you look up in uh, the 2013 uh, thesaurus, you'll find that uh, confidence is an antonym. Of humility. My question to you is, you learn humility at a later stage from a a great wise man. You learn tenacity at a young age from a great wise man. Now that you're armed with both of those things, how do you check yourself or balance yourself between those two worlds of humility and tenacity? What's their relationship in your life now?
1: I don't know if I think of them as antonyms, but let's let me just stipulate that they are. And say, I think that that's sort of the job, right? Or at least my job is balancing between those two. And um, because you have to, I mean, you have to have the humility to know that you're not, that there are just an incredible amount of smart people in the world who are doing very difficult things. And sometimes those things don't work out. (laughs) And but when you find something that, you know, another part of value investing, is once once you identify that asymmetry that you go all in because they're very rare and that's where i think the confidence part really kicks in i mean it's almost like confidence on the other side of the of humility meaning like once you've really thought through a potential problem or acquisition or whatever it may be um and you've opened yourself up through humility to be wrong and have Mm. your You know, your peers or other people that you talk with about how you could be wrong or why you're wrong and all those different ways. And then you satisfy yourself, it doesn't mean that you sort of shut the door on it, but I think humility is the opportunity to to be wrong, to let others question you, you know, at any point, uh until you your group, your management team collectively decides to do something, but to also just say, "I, I we were wrong or I was wrong. We made a mistake and we shouldn't have done this. And that I think is you know, that and saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake is, is something I learned early on. And I believe that had I not learned that lesson, I, I would have probably have had no no success at all. Um and just sort of getting wrapped up in, I don't know, it's almost like confidence in the in the facts rather than confidence in your own ego is a way I would describe it.
0: Mm confidence in the facts instead of confidence of your own ego.
1: This is sounding far more complicated than I was was ready to dig into and I don't think I'm going to be good at explaining the rest of it but I'll certainly try.
0: I like what you just said in terms of confidence in the facts because you have to be vulnerable and humble enough to know that your ego isn't right every time. And my question to you is when you give up power and your ego gives up that power and you rely on confidence of the facts that are brought on by others, does that humility create connection in people you're working with?
1: I think so. I mean, because it creates sort of a meritocracy around facts and, and what's right or like the right way to proceed. And if, if, you're, if you have a strong team, you know, everybody on that team is willing to express their opinion. And it doesn't matter, obviously, where the right answer uh, came from. It's just, I think people who, who I've seen that are successful really either embrace that humility or they really embrace sort of the arrogance of their success. And, and it, it feels a lot more, it feels almost like that, that's a binary approach to get to a similar place.
0: So it, instead of that binary approach, how do you communicate to your team that you would like to have them pursue a combination of these two things, humility and tenacity at the same time? I,
1: I think that, gosh, I don't know the answer to that because I don't consider myself to be like a great manager. I think my team is a lot better at that than I am. But I think they know that that's what I'm looking for. and. And it, it may take you know, early on acknowledging a mistake, like right away and just saying, oh, I screwed that up and I made a mistake, you were right, or whatever it is. And then moving on and, and once that feels, I think once a team member feels as though that's um, an acceptable outcome, they become more comfortable doing that. And they just mm-hmm. they internalize that, I, I said something that was wrong, so I'm wrong, or I didn't have, like my idea was wrong, so I'm wrong, or my idea wasn't good, so I'm not good, right? I, I think that, and that's a constant just battle of, of every person, I think, where, you know, they have to have had enough, they just have to have enough confidence that they don't let that ego sort of uh, control their decisions. And uh, I think, it, you know, as everybody in my weakest moments, that's what you're doing is you're letting your ego control your decisions and your actions. But it's, it's a, you know, it's a poor proxy usually for what ends up being the best way to proceed.
0: For someone who's humble enough to say that he's not a good manager, you are wise enough to be a good leader. And I thank you for that statement.
1: I'm, I think that, that, I don't, I think that that's probably, if I'm gonna take credit for something, I think I'm a better leader than I am a manager, that for sure. What are are the differences? I think managers are more patient, they're more uh, empathetic, they're more, they they just connect better with the people that they work with. And uh, I just don't consider that to be a strength in my business as much as I would like to. It's not, you know, I think it's a deficiency. But the people that are on my management team, I think, are excellent at, it. and um, and so it's a good balance. But uh, yeah, I don't, I would never go around touting my management skills like in a Peter Drucker type of a sense. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: more of just, but I, you know, with as much humility as I can generate right now, I, I do think that I can be a, a good
0: leader and have. It. I like that. What would you? Uh... What would you say to your hockey coach if, if you saw him today?
1: I think I would give him a big hug, number one. Yeah. Number two, he was, I mean, not only was he tenacious and taught all of us tenacity, but he also just, he just did not take things too seriously. and really taught me that you can be tenacious and aggressive without, without being so serious. And I think that those are two things that you know don't normally go hand in hand, but but should. And I mean, when I think back on him as a coach, he was outrageous in terms of the things that he had us do as kids. But we also won like multiple state championships, and and uh, I just learned an incredible amount from him. But he you know he also had enough self confidence that he didn't care what. I don't know what other, some of the other parents might say or what other people thought. And uh,
0: I think I internalized a lot of those lessons and, and used them without even really being conscious of it. Hmm. If, if he was to teach something to your team today without the use of hockey, or maybe with the use of hockey, they got hockey in LA. What what would you have him teach?
1: Man, I think he would be a good teacher about sort of the absurdity of life and just like how, how I think that, that that's like a good counterbalance to like being so unifocused on one outcome that it ends up being very effective. Like having the ability, it's not just not taking yourself so seriously, but like really like sort of embracing some of that absurdity it really is a good counterbalance to just thinking you're the best at something or the smartest at something or, or sort of the negative effects of tenacity, right? Like the, the uh, mm. you know, sort of the facts. Because if you're, if you're an aggressive and tenacious person, oftentimes there are people that are left sort of along the side of the road. And I certainly get accused of that, you know, and probably guilty do that unintentionally, but I think when you begin to sort of embrace that natural absurdity of everything that it, it 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 softens that in a way that really matters that's I think that's a lesson that I learned from him that I didn't really know that I learned from him, but yeah, I mean I don't like think back on him and grit my teeth I think back on him and like you know just sort of have a, a lot of pride and i I also laugh a lot thinking about. Lessons I learned from him. His name is Doug King, by the way. Doug King. So if this ever gets on to a podcast, I'll send it over to him. Doug King of Chagrin Falls, Ohio. What
0: do you think he learned from you?
1: Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, he, maybe he would say tenacity, but I don't think so. I mean, he was the coach. Yeah, I don't think he learned anything from me, but, but I, I, I'm certain that he taught a lot of other people uh, a lot of lessons.
0: I appreciate it, and I appreciate your words about him here today. And And uh, it's it sounds like, on this side of the phone, the things you learn from him about the balance and about the negative effects of only being one way in life, the unidirectional way of life, or however you, you said it so well, it sounds like you've... Through multiple ventures and through understanding the balances that you have in life from tenacity to humility and so much more have, uh, have turned out to be quite a living example of what he would uh, what he would have have preached if uh, you had him teach a class today so I know he has that to learn from you
1: thanks I would, I would be uh, incredibly honored if he uh, I'll, I'll send this along to him. Hopefully, he'll get a kick out of it.
0: Perfect. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being with us today. It's uh, To all our listeners out there, it sounds like we need to really understand what Rob's saying and that you have to be tenacious in life. You have to be humble in life, but to balance the two of those things together um, is really where you find great success. And when you start to find, uh, you know, great, great confidence in your leadership abilities, please go check out everything they're doing over at Gimbal. They're one of the fastest growing companies in the country. And it's such a pleasure to have them with us here today. Rob, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for, uh, for thinking of me and inviting me, Chris.
0: To all our listeners out there, I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on Earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore and we'll see you next interview.